have the pleasure of lighting the Advent candle today. I don't like lighting, so I brought matches. Before I do, I'd like to read hymn number 16. Stop. I'm so used to that. <laughs> keep, me, keep me safe, my bride, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the Lord, there are noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out my basins of blood into such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have delight in heavens. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My our body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with your joy in your presence. For eternal pleasures, I shall write. The candle I'm going to light today is the joy candle. And the pastor said last week when she asked me, would I think about joy during the week? So I did. I thought about joy. I have a lot of joys in my life. Uh, one's about this big with red hair and looks just like me. <laughs> one's home sleeping in my bed. And of course, I have many friends. But I thought about one joy that's so important to me that it kind of almost outshines all the others. When I was a little fellow, believe it or not, I wasn't born this big. <coughs> I grew up here. As a matter of fact, I think it was right there where I was dedicated by my mom and my dad when I was only this big. And I had a rather strong-willed and strict mother. So as a child, I take no credit for going to having perfect attendance in Sunday school. None whatsoever. Because she didn't ask my brothers and I. She told us, get up, get ready, you're not going to be late for Sunday school. So did I come here every Sunday of my life as a child? Yes, I did. Did I appreciate my church family? No. Not as much as I probably should have. But I'd like to mention just a couple of quick things. Every Sunday morning when I showed up and I came in that back door on the side street, which I came in today, uh, who was sitting at the first doorway with a little desk and a cute little chair? But a lovely, lovely woman. As a matter of fact, whenever my mother ever said the two words, Esther Pratt, she followed with, what a lovely woman. So I thought her name was Esther Pratt, what a lovely woman. <laughs> and she was. So I would stop, and it was official, I, I would say my name, and she would put the check mark in the appropriate place on her measure so that 
it proves that I had perfect attendance and I got my poison and came at the end of the year. And uh, I, I, I still remember her with warm regards and my mother was right, what a lovely woman. But did I appreciate it then? No. Do I appreciate now that her only daughter was sitting right there in the back row singing in that choir with me? Oh yeah, yeah. So my joy is my church family. I was also gonna uh, remind, uh, or just give you a little story about uh, one of my oldest and dearest friends who <coughs> I sang with in the children's choir and then later on in the adult choir, who is known to you as Barbara Dolan. When I look at her, I still think of her as Barbara Scheinfeld, because that was her name when we were growing up. And we, we, we were always in the same Sunday school class from the time we, uh, I can't even remember. One day right up here, when we were done choir practice, I looked at her, I said, you know, I don't remember not knowing you. And she started giggling. And she said, Ray, you realize that we were both in the Sunday school nursery in the playpen in diapers together, right? <laughs> and I said, yes. She goes, I don't remember not knowing you either. And we grew up through every grade of Sunday school together. And like I said, we both sang in the children's choir. And it was kind of comforting, too, because I didn't want to be in the front row. But the way the choir director worked it out was all the short kids went in the front, all the tall kids went in the back. So I kind of semi-hid behind Barbara off my whole children's choir career. And, and that was nice. And I'm glad that we're still friends. And I'm sad that she's not sitting where she usually sits. But she's ill. And I know that I don't want to bring pressure on her, but I got to do my best that I can. And then there's just one more person. I don't need to pick on anybody, but that's my dear friend Ray Green sitting right over there. I knew all the different families that came to church every Sunday. I mean, I could list them all off, but it wouldn't mean anything now. Most of them are all gone. But I'll never forget Mr. and Mrs. Green as long as I live. <coughs> they were not only sweet. But Mr. Green was probably, in my opinion, the handsomest man I had ever seen. <laughs> I mean, he could have been a movie star in Hollywood with blue eyes and blonde hair. He was excessively handsome. And of course, all of his kids were beautiful too. All blonde and all good looking and all cheery and all friendly. Um, I don't know where Rand's siblings are now, but I see him sitting right over there. Don't mean to embarrass him. Okay. But yeah, so I mean, <laughs> Like I said, did I really appreciate my church family as much as I probably should have? No, I took a lot of it, a lot of it for granted. I don't any longer. And what's my joy for today? You. I love my church family. Recently I got hurt. I got stuck in the hospital for a week. And then I was laid up at home for almost a month. And uh, it was killing me not to be able to come to church hang out, sing with the choir, and hang out with my church family. So boy, am I glad to be back, and I'm not gonna take any of you for granted. Thank you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Good morning, everybody. And Merry Christmas. Um, today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I did not grab the page number in the Red Key Bible. Does anyone want to find it and 
tell us what page number it is if anyone wants to follow along in the queue. 681, Gold Star to Lori. <laughs> so if you want to follow along in the Red Pew Bible, it's on page 681, or it'll be up on our screen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Mary, his mother, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. This is the new old way, the new old-fashioned way. Right in the row. Right in the row. Right in the row. Just sit right in here. Scoot on in. Scoot on in. All right. All right. You don't have to go so far down. You can scoot this way. This is just so I can see and hear you, and you can see and hear me, and I don't have to look between all those Hey, you're sitting up front with the kids. What am I? What, what else? I know. That's why you moved up here because we heard we were doing this. Anyway, I know. Well, good morning. Good morning. What's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. No, wait. Wrong story. Wrong story. What's in a name? Have you ever thought about how you got your name? Family. Hmm. Family. Some you might be named after someone in your family. How'd you get your name, Ray? Who? History. History. How'd you get your name? Oh yeah, part of your name is after after David, your middle name. Well, you know, there's something. How many of you know what your name means? Okay, what does your name mean? Okay, well, you're, wait a minute. What does your name mean? Yeah. Yes, you're right. It absolutely does. And somebody else had their hand up. Shining light. Shining light. What does your name mean? Well, you know what? Something is really funny about your name. I looked yours up in my handy-dandy ancient baby <laughs> name book, and... Your name means son of the right hand. Now, what's funny about that is both of his parents are left-handed. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, okay, we'll save it for later. So, 
Okay, well, you can tell it when I'm done, okay? My name is Barbara. I got named for a little German girl who was the daughter of the landlords that my parents lived with when my dad was stationed in Germany. But Barbara <coughs> means stranger or foreigner. Comes from barbarian. <laughs> um, so I like to think of it as newfound friend. Someone you haven't met yet. Benjamin, can you put that away, please? Um, Maya, do you know what your name means? Do you know what it means? <coughs> it means mother or nurse. And you know what? You, that is a good name for you because you are very motherly to Xavier and to other children. You take good care of them. So that's a great name for you. What's your name mean, Hayden? Yep, that's a good guess. According to my book here, which may or may not be accurate, because as I said, it's kind of old. <laughs> Hayden means from the hedged valley. Now, do you live in a valley? No? I don't know. Southbridge has some valleys, and hedges are bushes that are around it. Were you born in the bushes? <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. Xavier, let's see if we have Xavier in here. See, this is not the most up-to-date. If you go online, you can get much better names. Um, I was looking at a class list, and I'm thinking most of those names aren't in here. Let's see. Xavier. Oh, here you go. What do you think Xavier might mean? Night. Bright. It means bright. Bright. So names, they have meaning. People choose them for certain reasons. Lamp? Okay, so he's bright like a lamp? Okay. Well, when Jesus was born, they didn't have a handy-dandy book like this to think of a name. They didn't have the internet to Google a name. But they didn't need to. Because God said, you're going to have a baby boy, and his name is going to be Jesus. No choice. That's it. That's what his name's going to be. Because he's my son, and I'm naming him. Now, Jesus means what? Hmm? Yep. Jesus is going to save the nations, going to save the people, save everybody, salvation. And so, what's in a name? If it's Jesus, it's salvation. Right? And that's whose birthday we're celebrating. So, that's a pretty awesome thing. So, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us a name, <coughs> excuse me, and that our names have meaning. They have meaning to us and to our families. They have meaning to you. We thank you that you gave Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, the name Jesus, which means salvation. And we thank you that he came to save us. And it's his name we pray. Amen. pray again. Lord, thanks for the chance to open your word together and hear from you. Lord, I pray that you will speak clearly through me and to all of us, um, that we will hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
So we often here talk about the part of Jesus, the prayer that Jesus taught us, which we pray every Sunday, where he says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is kind of the underlying idea of really the Bible. Um, God created a good world, and he created human beings to reflect him in it, and we kind of screwed up. And so now we actually, this this kingdom heavenly life on earth does not happen naturally. So we actually have to pray for it to happen um, because we can't do it ourselves. And sometimes it's really hard. Peace and joy and love are heavenly virtues, heavenly concepts, heavenly experiences, and we all as human beings have some idea of what they are like or what they should be like, but we can't actually get them the way that God intends us to have them um, unless God himself is involved because he is the one that they come from. And so because of that, the blending of the heavens and the earth now is, we described earlier in this Advent season, uh, it's kind of like a cross-cultural experience where you have some of the same ideas but your language isn't quite the same and your understandings about certain things isn't quite the same and sometimes you think it is and then you have a miscommunication or it just, it's hard to make the translation sometimes. So very often when God decides to intervene in the world, God decides to do something directly in the world, um, it's hard for us to understand and sometimes it even seems like the things that God brings should yield the opposite of peace or love or joy. So, you know, sometimes God breaks in and does something and it doesn't, it, and, I, and you think, how am I supposed to feel peaceful about that? That's hard. This world is a mess and this, that's not how things work here. So last week we saw that there was every reason for Mary not to have peace. Right? She was in a time and place that was not peaceful. Um, she was in an occupied territory, and there was always risk of either rebellion from among her people against the Roman oppressors or the Romans actually doing something oppressive. Um, so she wasn't living in a time of peace. She wasn't living in a place of peace. And when the heavens, when God himself actually reached into her life, God set up a scenario that could have brought her less personal peace, right? She's a single young woman. She's betrothed to a man. It is not culturally appropriate for her to have a child out of wedlock. And all of a sudden, she's pregnant. And who is going to believe her crazy story that God did it? That doesn't seem like a very peace-inducing kind of situation <laughs> to me. But we saw, we, as we read her story, that as she agreed with God's plan, the, the way that you could tell it was really God's plan is that as she agreed with it, as she agreed to take on this crazy thing, she actually was able to find peace. So sometimes joy feels impossible in this world, too. Uh, pet gets injured. That's 
the thing that Paul and I are dealing with right now. You may know that my well-being is often directly related to my pet's well-being, so <laughs> whether it should be like that or not, um, that it's hard to find joy around that. Or someone we care about makes a foolish life decision, or someone we care about dies, or war breaks out, as it keeps doing, it seems. Or you find out your fiancé got pregnant and you aren't the dad. I feel like Joseph had some pretty good reason to not feel a whole lot of joy when he got this news. Here's the thing, another thing I've been thinking this week, is that God is a conspirator. <laughs> so a lot of times, we, we hear a lot about conspiracy theories out in the world, and conspiracy theories are not great. They usually take a little tiny grain of truth and then they turn into this very interesting story that is alarming and, and is very bad news. But God makes secret plans that are really, really, really good news. They're great good news. And God had this conspiracy of goodness for our world that he's been setting up since probably before he made the world, and he's been gradually over the last few weeks inviting people into his good conspiracy. Here's the thing about his good conspiracy, though. It is really good, but if you're going to join him in it, it always requires some kind of sacrifice. We're going to see that even more next week, but it's the case for everybody in this story that we've heard of so far. Um, so we, we're talking about this cast of characters, and we're in this story, and we talked two weeks ago about how this story is a comedy, not only because it's a little funny, but also because the true definition of comedy is a story that takes a really dark, tragic turn and then comes back up and ends happily. A comedy is a story with a happy ending. And so this is a giant cosmic comedy, and Zechariah has been invited into it already, and Elizabeth, and Mary, and today Joseph is being invited into this good conspiracy that is the plot line of this comedy that we're in. And in order to participate, Joseph has to sacrifice his little J joy, to get the capacity to receive capital J joy from God. So last week, Mary went to find her footing. She finds out she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and she goes to find her footing with her relative Elizabeth, because Elizabeth is the only person having a miracle baby herself who is going to really get any of this. And while she's there, she has her she has God's work in her life confirmed to her by Elizabeth and by the unborn baby John the baptizer who was conceived to prepare the way of the Lord and he's already doing it in his mother's womb. None of the gospel writers though, unfortunately, tell us what happened after that. So we don't know how Joseph gets the news. Um did Mary tell Joseph? Did she tell anybody besides Joseph? How did that go? Or did she not tell Joseph? Did he somehow find out some other way? We don't know. 
We don't know how he heard, but we might be able to imagine a little bit how he felt. So, Joseph finds out his fiancée is pregnant. And he knows he is not the dad. What are his options here? Whichever one. That's right. Divorce, but he, he could... He could stone her to death. Yes. So in, in verse 19, it says, of Matthew 1, it says, because Joseph, Mary's husband, was faithful to the law, that is, and some translations say, was a righteous man, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So first we need to clear something up. Some of you probably know this, but in case you don't, Mary and Joseph are only engaged at this point, but an engagement at this time in this culture was much more binding than it is for us in our American 21st century culture. And so if Mary is pregnant by someone other than her fiance, whether she was forced or whether she consented, she is considered to be adulterous. And the penalty in the Mosaic law for adultery is death by stoning, which is public because you need a whole bunch of people to throw rocks at the person. Technically, both the man and the woman are supposed to be stoned. But how often do you think, if this happened often, which I am not sure it really did, but how often do you think it really, the man ever got the woman can have the baby, She's there's no question. But the man, it's, you don't know. And so Joseph could have said, he would have had the right to say, my fiance, basically my wife, is pregnant by someone. It isn't me. We have not been together in that way. And so she needs to be killed. But Joseph is a righteous man, but... He does not, so he, that means he upholds the law of Moses, but he does not want to shame her. So, Joseph, this means, though, that Joseph is just the kind of guy God wants for his son's earthly father. He wants a righteous man. We talked a couple months ago about righteousness, and we talked about how righteousness is the kind of biblical goodness that is both morally upright and pure and also socially just. So Joseph takes God's laws seriously, and he knows it. He knows the terms. But he also has grace and compassion for Mary. Even though he believes that she has been unfaithful to him, he w does not want to shame her. He doesn't want to kill her. He doesn't want bad things for her. So he is righteous through and through. God wants exactly this kind of person helping to bring the kingdom of the heavens and the earth together. Someone who takes God's law, God's law seriously and applies it with great grace. This combination of law and grace is what God is like. It's like God found the human being, the still sinful human being who was the most like him to be the dad for his son. 
we can imagine that just like Mary wrestled with fear when we read her story last week, before God's grace relieved her fears, Joseph wrestled with some strong emotions too. Probably anger, but probably also grief. He is having to sacrifice some things here. What, is, what kinds of things do you think he's having to sacrifice? Yeah, right. His hope for a righteous family. His reputation? Yeah, I think his reputation, too. Especially if Jesus doesn't look anything like him. <laughs> 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 he is, mo like most human beings, when you're about to enter a committed marital relationship, you have hopes for that relationship, right? And you have hopes for your family, and you, you have a little bit of joy wrapped up in there. There's some dreams and some, some hopes for joy in those relationships, and he is having to sacrifice those because this is not turning out the way he planned. And then an angel shows up. So far we've had an angel in every single one of these stories, this advent. We don't know, though, this one's not named. It's called an angel of the Lord. We don't know if it's Gabriel or some other angel. But God sends this angel via a dream to Joseph instead of a face-to-face -face encounter. Zechariah and Mary both had a face-to-face -face meet up with an angel. Joseph gets a dream. He gets a couple dreams of angels, actually. This is a good thing to remember. God speaks to different people differently. So I think sometimes the reason God does this is because he takes into, our account, into account our specific personalities and experiences, and he knows what we're able to receive as being from him and what we're not. And also, he communicates to us differently because he gives us each different roles to play in his big overarching story. But the basic underlying message always when God communicates, no matter how he does it, is the same. The Messiah is coming to restore humans back to God, to reunite the heavens and the earth. Actually, even still today, because we are now all invited into this good conspiracy that God has, um, that's the same underlying message. When you hear from God, if the basic underlying thing that you're hearing is not something about Jesus restoring humanity to God and each other, test it a little bit more. The Bible says to test the spirits. God will always communicate about his Messiah because that's the whole point. So we have these pieces of the puzzle now for Advent leading to a picture of joy. To Zechariah about John, the angel said, John will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So people are being prepared for the Messiah to arrive. To Mary about Jesus, Gabriel says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So the Messiah is coming, and the Messiah is going to rule. The Messiah is going to be the ruler that we've all been longing for. 
he will actually be just and righteous. God is giving him the throne. To Joseph, about Jesus, the angel says, she, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's the next piece of the puzzle. This king, this Messiah, isn't just going to rule the world. He's going to rescue us from our sins. And then Matthew, the writer of this passage, tells us all this, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The merging of the heavens and the earth. All of this took place to fulfill what God had already conspired for our good centuries before, or millennia before. God sends angels, angel means messenger, to invite each of the cast members into this comedy play that we're in. He sends Gabriel to Zechariah, and then actually Zechariah is a messenger too, to Elizabeth, and then he sends Gabriel to Mary, and now an angel of the Lord visits Joseph through a dream. God is always inviting us into this comedy, this story that is difficult but has a happy ending. And he wants our yes. I fully believe that one of the reasons the world is still such a mess after Jesus already has been here and has already died for our sins, has already done so many things for us, the world is still a mess because God is not into forcing anybody to do anything. He wants us to say yes freely. He can be pretty persistent in his invitations to us, <laughs> to say the least, right. But he still leaves it up to us to make the choice. He does not force anybody. And a lot of the time, we, and maybe we in this building, but we as a human species, do not say yes. We don't always say no either. Sometimes we, I think, we think that we can have things both ways. We can have the good things of God, but not actually have to commit ourselves full, fully, commit ourselves wholeheartedly. We don't actually have to be in the story. We don't have to do anything in this story, but maybe we'll get some of the kickback, some of the joy and the peace and the love. That's great. But... Not saying yes is kind of saying no. On the other hand, saying yes to God's invitation to merge the heavens and the earth means that sometimes we have to say no to other things, and sometimes the other things are even good things. But when we do that, we discover that it's really an exchange, usually, of Maybe they don't seem small, but ultimately small personal joys for a joy that encompasses us. We benefit from this joy, but also it reaches out to everybody around us. Here's a piece of trivia for you. The Bible does not record any words from Joseph. He's in a couple of stories. He does not say one word 
We don't hear his yes, but we see it. Matthew says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. That was his yes. Joseph lived long enough to have other children with Mary, but tradition seems to indicate that he died even before Jesus actually got into ministry. So he didn't get to see Jesus doing all the things that Jesus is famous for doing. But God valued and respected Joseph enough that he chose him to be the human visible father of his only begotten son. Our perception of God often comes first through our human fathers, and God the Father made sure that his son Jesus had the best reflection for a father that he could have. Joseph doesn't do anything flashy or flashy, or he doesn't travel. He, doesn't, he just says yes to being the father of God's son. He had the joy of naming him. He had the joy of parenting the Son of God. And he had the joy of actually getting to marry Mary and having other kids and having a family after all. He was willing to give it up, and he got it and more. And because he said yes, Jesus was able to be parented and do what he came to do, which is save his people from their sins. So here's a question, you don't have to answer this out loud, but to think about, how is God inviting you to help bring the heavens and the earth together? Mostly, God will ask us, will ask you, will ask me to do small, quiet, patient things over the long haul, just like Joseph. But when we say yes, those small, quiet, patient things over the long haul will bring joy to the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you don't ask us to do anything impressive for you. We don't need to impress you. We just need to be righteous and looking for you and say yes. Lord, I pray that you will help each of us to hear from you in the way that you communicate to us and that we will say yes and that we will experience your peace and your joy and your love and your hope for the world. In Jesus' name, amen.